if you've purchased a digital comic book over the last eight plus years, it's likely that Taylor Morgan has had a hand in making sure it got to your grubby little mitts. Taylor works for Comixology and has extensive experience on how to best merchandise digital comic books to the masses. While he had an extensive list of ideas for his appearance on this podcast, we eventually chose a book neither of us had read. The buzz around Nick Dernasso's Sabrina was hitting fever pitch. The story follows a small cast of characters who have been impacted by the murder of Sabrina and it touches extensively on our current mixture of politics, social media, paranoia, conspiracy theories, and the internet's negative impact on our own psyche. This is an important work, and I hope you find time to read it. This is your old pal Slim, and this is Link in Bio. My first question to you. Sure. Is this the greatest graphic novel you've ever read? It's up there. So I'm looking at an image right now just because I pulled a few screen caps of the more captivating, striking images from the book. And this is like a book plate from the very beginning. Mm. And this is just like the most succinct, powerful image from the whole book for me. It's an image of Sabrina, the eponymous character of this graphic novel. And it looks like something stripped from social media. It's just like the encapsulating graphic novel image of the era we live in for me. Uh, it's a candid photo. It seems like something that could be either someone kind of like hanging out on IG yeah. or someone being assaulted. And that's like the heart of this book. It's about the internet age. We got really lucky in that. Neither one of us had read this book ahead of time, yeah. which is like the total opposite of what the podcast is. So we could have blew it by picking a book that sucked. <laughs> yeah, that was like a dud. Yeah, I know. And then we would have like had to redo a whole episode. But at the, I can't remember when we first started talking about this book. Um, we saw it online, and then I said something to you that my buddy Chuck knows the creator. Yeah, right. I can't even remember how he he knew him, but Nick Dernasso. Nick Dernasso. Mm -hmm. And the cover is just so striking. It looked, you know, I do nothing about it, but it looked gorgeous. And I knew that it was going to be an interesting read. And then like right before we recorded, it won like the highest honor in like Europe. Well, for... it's, it's been, um, it's on the long list for the man Booker. So the mm -hmm. man Booker is like the national book award, uh, which is like a prestigious, it's basically the, the British equivalent of the national book award, which is a, uh, American book award. Mm -hmm. Um, Though they nominate, I guess, en entries from any country, um, it's the first comic book that I know of that's been on the the long list. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a hell of an endorsement. Yeah, I think you know this really struck me. I'm glad that this <laughs> panned out well because it yeah, could have been both, a dud. We both loved it, obviously. Yeah, um, just because we were kicking around like you know Ubik and Spirit of the Beehive, and I had a couple movies in mind, TV um, shows. Yeah, and especially just uh, Mind Hunter. Um, and Wormwood, but, uh, you know, listening to your, like your dad's podcast, especially those episodes, I really wanted to do a movie initially or some kind of like televised thing. Um, but this just kind of brought me back to our roots, I guess, mm -hmm. like having worked on the podcast before. So it seemed right to hedge it in comics and, it, yeah. you know, like the very minimal style. Um, I mean, Nick's art is very much kind of like Chuck's or, uh, 
like a Charles Schultz, very mm-hmm. stripped down, very minimal. When I first started reading it, it read exactly like some kind of art house, slow moving film. Like, um, what's the Joaquin Phoenix movie that just came out? Um, oh, you were never really there. Unbelievable movie. So good. Shocking. Incredible. Very powerful. And when I was reading this, I could envision this on the screen. Like I can see this sure. as a, as a slow moving emotional film. And I didn't know anything about the book and when I started reading it. Yeah. So I started reading it and it opens up with Sabrina and her sister, sister. um Sandra having a con- like a long conversation it took like 10 pages. Like it's a very thick book. Yeah. And about getting out of the house and stuff. And, and also just like very mundane details. Like yeah. they're doing the crosswords, right? Yeah. And there's even a nice intertextual allusion to um in cold blood, like they mentioned the clutter family. Mm-hmm. So it's it's setting up the pieces thematically for what it's going to get into, but it's also just a mundane everyday conversation between siblings. Yeah. It's really beautiful and not flashy, no. really well wrought. Um yeah, I don't know. Just that makes the the drama that that's to come so much more potent it opens up later you you're introduced to calvin who's in the service um and teddy who is an old friend of his from high school that's coming to live with him you kind of don't even really know why yet and they don't really have an obvious rapport either um which is really i thought striking and beautiful uh the fact that uh chooses to show people show friends obviously right like this is this book is about a time of crisis Mm. and this is very much a a story about uh calvin trying to support his friend teddy and we just don't really get their friendship um they don't have uh obvious camaraderie it seems like they've gone on two different paths um and yet they're you know, Calvin's there for Teddy and it's awkward and very it's, human. It was awkward and human to the point where I was expecting something wrong to happen. Like, and it, it gets there. It gets too. there eventually, but it was in a different place. And the way I was reading as he's like helping him undress or just being alone in the house together. Yeah. I was like, Oh God, what's, what's, what's the plot of this book? Like, where's the unpleasantness going to actually happen? Yeah. And, it doesn't come but like for the first half or two thirds of the book, really, because yeah. as they reveal um, Teddy's girlfriend, Sabrina went missing. So he had like a, a total mental breakdown and you can see kind of the fallout of that where he's just totally shut off from life. Sure. And Calvin is trying to help him with that. But then as it slowly unwinds, there's like so many different moving pieces with Calvin uh, has his own story, which is he's trying to get back to with his the mother of his child and his child in Florida. So he's right. hoping to move there and not accept a job position that he's extremely qualified for. Um, but then things take a, take a turn where a videotape surfaces at uh, a news or a, like a, a news station, like a CBS, a yeah, local affiliate local, yeah. in the country, and it's a video of Sabrina's murder. Right and. It gets like really dark, really fast, yeah. but not in a way that is 
um, morbidly on screen. It's like a different no. darkness. It was like a the darkness within kind of, it plays which is with really shocking a lot, right? Like, so th- there are many scenes where you have people trying to find the footage of the murder online, um, particularly Calvin kind of struggling with it late at night in bed. Uh, oh God, there's a, an incredible scene where he he looks up the murder video and there's all these horrible like cartoony pop-up ads and yeah i thought that was just such an insightful way of depicting how all these kinds of media are conflated and he you know he watches the video and then he proceeds to vomit afterwards Mm -hmm. uh, which is really startling even the reveal like the people that work for the tv station like they watch it and it's just like this conversation between the two before they watch it is like a several pages yeah and everything is so thought out and planned just to show like the human intricacy around being inundated with like darkness and sure. depre- and like just depressing events and like sadism and and preying on people too yeah. like i think a beautiful thing that um Dernasso manages to do is sort of tease you like i was really expecting to see at least an inkling of the murder mm-hmm. and it's withheld and I think that's a very strong choice that is pretty courageous um, because this is not an exploitative thing. Mm-hmm. This is trying to tease out the tensions, like our desire to get into the muck and the dirt and relish in it. And also, I think, kind of like have a sense of community in this, too. Um, there, I mean, this book just wonderfully uh, fleshes out like forum life, like the kind oh, yeah. of... And I mean, it get it gets pretty grim too. There's sort of an Infowars ish conspiracy theory subplot that happens that be, that sort of uh, becomes the overriding drive for the drama in the later half of the book. Yeah, but uh, a lot of it is just about forums and about internet culture and about the way we share media and the way we share experiences too. And uh, that strange. one, I mean, Teddy, um, as this is unfolding and it becomes a, like obvious that she's she's dead and he hasn't been back home. Um, also, Sabrina's sister plays a big role in this. She's another character who's dealing with this and dealing with her own grief in a different way. But Teddy, in his kind of like grieving state, he just stays in this bedroom in his underwear, does nothing, can barely move. Yeah. He finds a radio. And in his next step to kind of like continue moving, he turns the radio on. But it is an Alex Jones radio station. It's, yeah, it's like his twin. Yep. Talking about how the deep state and false flags and and um, Sandy Hook with yeah. like crisis actors. So then when the footage... But it, you know, the thing that's really captivating to me is it starts from an almost earnest place. Mm-hmm. Before we really get into conspiratorial angles, it just starts with the fact of... We're trying to reach it. I'm trying. I am the truth warrior. Yeah. I'm trying to reach out to you. I'm here for you. I am trying. the, The point of me being a public figure is to benefit you and support you. Yeah. And it starts from it an almost him in. endearing place. And yeah, it sucks him in. He's in a complete vacuum with his own remorse and, um, you know, just grief having dealt with this horrible tragedy. Mm. So, and it goes up a notch when the footage, like there are multiple tapes that were sent to different outlets we discover. And it, it takes on this 
Sandy Hook element where yeah. people are, and he, Alex, this the radio analog suggests that maybe Sabrina isn't dead. You know, why is this 150 pound weakling able to overpower her? And um, so the, the, the murderer is dead. They find him in the house as well. So both, both of them are, are deceased. It reminded me of the conspiracy theory angle and how much Alex Jones just discussed me, but <laughs> X-Files, the new season of X-Files when it came back, <laughs> yeah. do you remember um, they had an Alex Jones-esque character yeah. and it totally turned me off. Whereas going back to the older seasons... That's like a playful angle, like the the lone gunman. Remember how they yes. were into all those conspiracy theories? Absolutely, yeah. It's just so crazy to me how it's flipped over the last five or seven years where it was fun. Like, yeah, hearing the conspiracy theories about how the right. government is behind everything. And then now where it's become so real, it's become so dark thing. and depressing and the book has many quotes from people on the back about how it's the most relevant book of our current moment. It, it totally is. It's painfully relevant. Yeah. And I mean, to your point, I think in the, the golden age of the nineties, no, <laughs> <laughs> these things were very like tinfoil hat, right? Yeah. Like the grays and, uh, moloids and reptilians, mm -hmm. right? It's all somewhat fanatical and fantastic. But when you're talking about, an age we live in now where people are really considering, you know, crisis actors and you have things like Pizzagate where a guy's going to go and shoot three rounds into a pizza parlor because mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton is yeah. running a child sex ring out of a pizza place. It's just, it's just, it's galling, right? It's no mm -hmm. longer in the realm of fantasy or people trying to understand something incomparable like aliens. It's just menacing and evil and yeah it's just yeah it's it's weird it's it feels like a real tipping point in terms of conspiracy theories mm -hmm. uh you know the last 10 years or so and the book progresses with um teddy listening to this and you don't really see how he's reacting he just every scene he's in for the next maybe 100 pages he's just sitting and listening and the diatribes of the radio host just go on and on and it could have easily just been copied from present day like for they're sure. so real the way he's describing these events and this impacts calvin. calvin so calvin starts getting emails because he was on the sh he was on the news because he's living with teddy so right. they go to interview teddy but calvin's there so now he has an he has a face to the right. internet and there he's now a part of the conspiracy theory and he's getting emails from these crazed people he's he's googling himself people are writing about him so now he is deeply entrenched in the the muck of this murder. Right. And I just like felt so uncomfortable reading it because it's real. Like this is what people go through. We all have these online personas now, right? Ugh. It's an, it's an inevitable part of just modernity. And yeah, for him, it happens to be horrible because he becomes the victim of various unfounded conspiracies. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, one thing that the book does wonderfully is, um, just like, google predictive search oh yeah like he'll type in his name and you see all the potential results and you know crisis actor or fake or mm -hmm. fraud um i mean i'm you know that's yeah uh oh, man yeah How i don't know it's the, really distressing he gets an email from uh someone who calls himself the truth warrior right and he tells a story about how 
he was on a like a a flight that had to get detoured to this island that's oh my like, God. And like not the, on the yeah. map. And and honestly, this letter is in small print and it takes up like the entire page. Yeah, and it's, it's just it's I done so beautifully, and you can't like stop reading. And the guy goes on like I was on this plane and it landed. We had to detour emergency landing. And when I got off the plane. It was just this weird-looking society that there was this group of adults that were together. There was this big, large group of kids. And he's referencing the people from Sandy Hook and from various shootings. Yeah, various tragedies. And he elaborates about how this is where they go. This is what happens when they're a part of this conspiracy. They They get shipped off to this island. And he's like, and I asked this one woman, like, do you have a message that you want me to convey to anyone? And she says no. And, like, he signs off the email. It's so creepy because it's so real like this is real life it's unnerving yeah this feels stripped from some kind of like either a headline like an alex jones type headline or Mm -hmm. reddit or 4chan or any kind of online forum it's really creepy and there's a whole structured way that this person is trying to dissect this i mean i'm just i'm looking at the pages now Mm -hmm. and like the level of detail is very uh, banal, but there's like a framework for it. Like he said, upon arrival, he's describing this this place that he's um, landed on, which is like a airstrip in Hawaii. Upon arrival, they are vaccinated and tested for diseased. They are sterilized to control the population. They are told that those who choose to cooperate will live out their days in isolated bliss, wanting for nothing working for no one those who refuse are summarily executed it's kind of general but there's an architecture in this person's brain about what's going mm-hmm. on it's and which it's creepy it's it, it it's the kind of rhetoric that goes on and like just mass media it, it goes to, just to show how well written this book is too because you get sucked in i, I started it like a couple weeks ago and i only got 10 pages in but then the next time i started i've read the whole thing i couldn't yeah. stop but you get sucked into this work, and it totally is worthy of all the attention it's getting, like all the awards. And Absolutely. I read an article um, that he, he after he wrote it, he went into like a depression because he like just screwed himself up so bad. <laughs> I know, yeah. Well, I think it's just such hefty uh, subject matter. I think, well, for one, being in that world creatively is probably really distressing, but mm-hmm. also you want to make sure you're doing justice to a character like Sabrina who is sort of alighted right like he doesn't he doesn't exploit the visual quality of what happened to her for cheap thrills Mm. he's really reverent to this character that just has so much import for people Mm -hmm. as both the public figure and as like a personal tragic figure Um, but that's a really strange balancing act I was reading a thing in I think it was like New York Magazine where he was saying he had a lot of tension just feeling like he wasn't doing he he didn't feel like he had really justified telling her story. Um, like it seemed like he felt like he didn't tap into Sabrina. And also he, I think he had some misgivings about the way that he told Sandra's story, but the sister, but um, I think it's beautifully wrought that last page when she's, uh, right. when she's biking. Oh God, <laughs> I, uh, it's so strangely powerful. Yeah. He just is able to take these really, 
pedestrian activities and elevate them into a metaphysical magic. Like they're, it's just very moving. At the end of the book, I r- recalled how my particular mood, and it was the end of Casino, my top four favorite films. Oh, when yeah. uh, De Niro takes off, we can his, argue about that later. <laughs> yeah, we'll say that later when he takes off his sunglasses and he just like holds them and looks out into the world <laughs> that's like exactly yeah. what i did i, I just mean, like cl- i just like closed the app and i just like sat there and just took it all in it's, it's just really one of those startling. works the his quote um that i wrote down is like wh- about how he wrote the book and felt you know severely impacted afterward he's like this is a pandora's box i never should have opened i believed i was paying some kind of psychic price for it <laughs> um oh. sandra's story was um the, her response to the grieving process was interesting about how she didn't confide in her best friend. And the only way she could do it was like reading the online vitriol that she was getting to her yeah. email box at a, like, um, you know, like an open mic Grief counseling. Yeah. Thing what, what was it? I think it was just them. Really like, it was, was almost like the moth, like yeah, where they get to yeah. read whatever. And she chose to read like the emails she's been getting from these conspiracy freaks. It seemed like some kind of support group because I know, as she's about to jump into this uh, vitriolic hate speech that that's been sent to her, she uh, like basically gets buy-in from the person that's the moderator. So mm-hmm. I feel like there's some level of um, confidence that's going on. So it makes yeah. me think it's a counseling group. But uh, her story was great. St- oh yeah, and like it's we see scenes alternating between her just being emotionally unable to cope with this. And then her objectively going through this hate speech directed at her and presenting it for the world to see. About the scene where her best friend tries this kind of emotional support move and tries to control her breathing behind her and tries to get her into a mental place where she can be fine in this moment. And it's like two pages. And she's like, okay, how do you feel? Is that feeling better? And she's just nope. like, no. And she just collapses onto the ground, yeah. like face first. And I was like, oh my God, this is so intense. Yeah. Um, the other portion of the book, which gets even crazier, um, Calvin has been offered this job that's like a three-year contract in the service. and it, But it would keep him away from his daughter, like a potential reunification yes, with his daughter for three years, which he's trying to make amends. And eventually he tells people work that that's what i'm going to do i'm going to florida but that falls through right and it's a really uncomfortable scene where he he makes a mistake he sends gifts at home that should have been addressed from santa it kind of blows up in his face and oh yeah he accidentally labels it as from dad i think ruins the illusion of santa for cc and i can't remember if they were married or if she's just the mother i think they were married and they were splitting up splitting up yeah so the the wife says you know i don't want you coming to florida anymore yeah you know you didn't pay attention this is just what happened at home you're not going to change so he goes back and tells his boss that i want that job and it was going to be going to one of his partners uh at the service and there's a really crazy scene where after it's it's become fact that he's going to get the job yeah he goes he goes downstairs to check on a server and that guy his name escapes me um he like passive aggressively he, he corners him downstairs in right. like the basement and he starts talking about how this was i've worked so hard to get this job and up until this point he was a normal dude like maybe still is yeah just and random he, co-worker yeah he seemed 
relatively normal, fine. He's they're sharing yeah. videos online. He's yep. a regular guy. He's like, this was my chance to prove the deep state. This is my chance to prove that the government's be- been behind everything. This is you know. Yeah, are is, you ready to take on this task? You weren't ready. You're not ready for for this. You, you can't, can't do cut this. The mustard. Yeah. You can't. You can't uh, uncover what what's behind Sandy Hook. You can't uncover yeah, the truth you think behind. You can really take this on. Yeah, he's his, and then his final line oh, is like just fucking with you. No, he's like, you can't understand. You can't prove the Sand. You won't be able to prove Sandra's still alive. And yeah, he, and, and then Calvin's like, what the. F- and what are you talking about? And the guy's like, oh, I'm just kidding. Yeah. And yeah. it's like the craziest scene in the entire book where. It's so intense. I was like, I remember reading that and just <laughs> clutching the book in anger. <laughs> because this weird stew of misinformation and yeah. weird intentionality. <sighs> it, because it flips the entire in the entire book in, in my view. How? Because this guy, let's assume that he's not goofing around and he is an Alex Jones acolyte okay. in this book. He's working for the military. He knows that his co- his coworker is up for this promotion that's right. going to get him in. Right. How far would these people go to cause a series of events that would push this guy out of that job position? Ugh. So maybe they were the cause of Sandra dying, being murdered, because they knew Teddy would get sent, or maybe they helped propose the idea that Teddy now would get sent. Now you're wearing a tinfoil. Now you're, I, you're that, playing chess. I'm playing checkers, Matt. <laughs> so that, that made me even more uncomfortable because oh. what if this entire thing was orchestrated just so that he wouldn't get that job and that this guy would, so that he would finally be moving up? Um, so needless to say, I was deeply unsettled by that entire turn of events. I was just unsettled by the fact that someone would use such a obvious personal point of trauma to emotionally extort somebody to mm. try to get a reaction, whether it was to make him feel self. Do you think he was an actual conspiracy theorist? Do you think he was effing with him just to, just to make him angry? I think it's kind of blurred lines. Uh, I don't, I don't think he was obviously self identifying as a, uh, conspiratorial kook but i there's probably a a gem or kernel of his sensibility that leans that way and he's you know he's really manipulating calvin and trying to elicit a response because remember towards the end when that guy gets his apartment he makes another comment as calvin's driving away he's like don't forget what about what i said yeah and then he's like what i was like oh no have fun it's just so it's really unnerving yeah. like that's what like if this does get made into a movie like this would win all the awards if this gets like the right director the right cinematographer Absolutely. i think this would just be uh such a provocative mass media mm-hmm. thing if it was a tv show or yeah. a movie yeah how about the scene um when teddy is at this point like deep into the radio show and the Alex Jones character is like, this is it. I've gotten word from my sources that this is the last night and the coup is going to happen tonight. Oh, yeah. So, like, hunker down into your, you know, your war chest or whatever. Get oh, ready yeah. for it. I'm afraid, too. Yeah. Right. So now Teddy is starting to freak out. So Teddy, like, finds a knife in the house. He locks yeah, himself in his bedroom. Kit. And Calvin comes home with dinner. Yeah. And... They're both kind of stressed out. Uh, well, not well. Obviously, both are extremely stressed out. But there's a scene where T- 
Teddy is waiting at the door with a knife in hand. Yeah. To do who knows Something. what. Hurt himself, hurt Calvin. The intentions are so oblique mm. and uncertain because they're uncertain for the for the characters too. That was a beautiful Teddy scene. Oh, it was I mean, what, what, yeah. what would have happened if he opened that door? Who knows? Because he, he ends up not opening the door and going to see Teddy. He leaves the food at the door and he goes yeah. to his bedroom. And yeah, then, and Teddy very absently puts the knife on like a, a nightstand and just goes to sleep. It's really... And then when he wakes up, scary. he realizes that it, it wasn't true. And I think that was a turning point for him as a, as a person. He realizes that maybe, you know, maybe I should he stop He hears another false this. flag story being announced. Mm-hmm. Um, 31 kids dead or something like, like a school shooting, basically. And that's the moment he turns off the radio because suddenly the the lens of tragedy has been turned towards another horrific event. And he knows this is just bunk. Yeah. This is someone trying to exploit horrible public catastrophes to fear monger. Mm. Unreal. Yeah. I'm so ex- I'm I'm ecstatic. I read it. Like I, this should be like given out at schools. It's it's an amazing oh, display yeah. of the of the medium. It's quite grim, but um, I think it's really beautiful just in terms of trying to tell a story about very average people mm-hmm. and the the way you deal with the makeup of society in a time where everybody's online. Everyone's there paranoid. All these different yeah angles, especially on news events. There's yeah, like your life is just. In the public sphere now. If your life is in the public sphere now, too, why not look a little bit better with an infinity scarf from Half Double Design? If the dregs of the internet have gotten you down, why not bring yourself up with a purchase from our friend Amanda? She can make you a blanket, scarf, princess wig, gloves, you name it. She's waiting to hear from you, and you won't regret it. Check things out at Half Double Design. Dot com. You mentioned how this is um, maybe like your best graphic novel you read the last few years. I think so. Yeah, it's just so powerful. What else is in that list? Uh, I mean, a completely uh, flip side thing. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Megan Mog mm. uh, from so, so Simon Hanselman's work for Fanographics, which is like just stoner comedy. It's basically <laughs> it's like a riff on a think like an old british show with like a witch a cat and an owl right and basically it's just the depraved version of that where they're hanging out like doing way too many drugs and like stopping each other and like getting really (laughs) depressed um but that's super funny uh he was contributing to vice for a long time Uh too uh what's like your top three graphic novels like ever yeah oof oof uh yeah, it's tricky because for me, like the meat and potatoes when I was a kid was superhero stuff. Um, I was thinking about that just kind of getting ready, ready to talk to you. And I was thinking about what was like the f- first comic I really remembered. And the first thing I remembered was like so outside of my wheelhouse. It was like Ron Lim drawing Spider, Spider-Man and Venom in like yeah, 1993. Around where I started. Yeah, like Venom Lethal Protector. I remember that so distinctly right before like... You know, there was like the Maximum Carnage video game. That was sort of our era. Mm-hmm. Mine was uh, like going to Pathmark to get Executioner Song. Yeah, exactly. Bagged. Right. Yeah. And I remember not caring that I had no idea what the F was going on, but I was still. Oh, so me into neither. It. I was just like, what's with these designs? It was yeah. so 
goofy and intense and mm-hmm. epic and beefy. Uh, <laughs> Sexy. W- yeah. Hot. <laughs> uh, that's just a, uh, a long-winded prelude to say the, s- the stuff that's really resonated with me, I'm really like, it's, it's sort of a fork in the road between superhero stuff, which I have such affection for, and then more like mannered graphic novels. Mm-hmm. I think um, uh, Werewolves of Mount Pelier oh, by Jason, yeah. that's a really powerful one. That's stuck with me. This is on the short list for sure. Um, I'll have to read it again bef- before I really know mm-hmm. how to rank it, I guess. Uh, Fun Home. Loved it. Yeah, that was that was the first time I saw a writer really being able to get into the complexities of uh, gender and depression. That just blew my mind at the time. I think I read it in college. Um, I was lucky enough to see the... Uh stage show oh yeah how was that amazing yeah really amazing it's so odd because it's such a sad intimate story i couldn't imagine how that would really translate to Mm. the stage it was i think it was cool i think she appeared as you know a present day character but it would she would always like harken back to like the other scenes in her life and that's when like the other actors would come in and it would just be like a show about that scene or that moment interesting and then it would move on to the next one Got it. Have you ever read The Story of My Tits? I haven't. That's oh. like a top shelf book. Oh, unreal. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, the main plot of that book is the writer artist dealing with being diagnosed with breast cancer, mm-hmm. but then her uh, and her relation um, and connection to her mother who went through the same thing. Oh, interesting. And really powerful. Really. I think it's probably one of my top, so top shelf books. Top shelf's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting, um, like that book and that creator, um, those are some of like the best books of the medium. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to get people into those books because people are just so used to like mainstream sure. everything events like Batman. But like, it's hard to get people to try like, hey, look at this, like get in here. This is going to like change your world. Yeah. And it really pushes this. the boundaries. Uh, I think on that point, I mean, I'm a big fan of like, uh, like uh, Alan Moore and Grant Morrison, Warren Ellis, uh, Elaine Lee, who did Starstruck, mm. people that are really tinkering with the medium and what you can do and elliptical storytelling. Mm-hmm. So if I had to pick a third one, it would be Saga probably in that thing. category. Saga of the Swamp Thing is incredible. <laughs> I'm going to put my consciousness into this plant by accident. What the <laughs> hell? What kind of Unreal. wacky, goofy stuff uh, from hell? I mean, there's I've a actually never more. read from hell. Oh, man, that's another grim one. Hmm. Oh, that would be a great aperitif for this. <laughs> no, I mean, you're dealing with a lot of the same themes, yeah. actually, like public life in Victorian England, um, the legacy of crime in in the public sphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's like a great procedural. you were making fun of me for saying casino <laughs> was my top four. Oh yeah well what are the other ones vanilla sky <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
ulti- all right so wait 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 give me a, you're, really, you're, you're like a film yeah okay i'm oh i'm a total you're a total film, film snob. nerd snob like ass. you're at film school like with your bifocals peering in with to see what bifocals. people are doing you know you're checking in on people <laughs> what projects they're working on exactly <laughs> uh well, no i i love casino actually that's like up there for me i mean we kind of talk about the scorsese deep cut sometimes so that's mm-hmm. fun like king of comedy I, yeah, I just um, rewatched that. I think that's what we were talking about, uh, like Rupert like a Pumpkin. month or two, month or two ago. Amazing movie. Oh, it's incredible. It doesn't get talked about enough. Oh, not nearly. Yeah, I mean, he has a deep catalog. Even the movies that aren't really heralded, there's like I love um, Hugo, for example. Really? Yeah, I, I started that watching was, that and I was like, I don't care. I think it was. Uh, I hate 3D for the most part. I just mm-hmm. find it to like. For one thing, it just dims the brightness of whatever the hell I'm looking at. Yeah, and it's not usually thoughtfully deployed and that was the f- that and uh dread actually were like the first move and oh and uh pina uh the wim wenders documentary about um like a, a dance uh studio director those were movies that were actually thinking about cinematography with 3d in mind in terms of playing with foreground and mm-hmm. uh just the use of like X, Y, Z axis space, right? You didn't mention the best 3D movie of all time, Pandora. <sighs> I'm going to throw my LaCroix at you. <laughs> you wouldn't waste LaCroix on me. <laughs> That's the coconut one. This is like subpar. Yeah. What's your, what's your, all? do you have an all-time favorite movie? It just changes. It do you have like a, year. do you have a, do you have a favorite or do you have like, this is the best film I've ever seen? Because uh, they can be different things. It goes things. back and forth. It's more like directors I'll be in a mood for. Like uh, I had a big Kurosawa uh, moment in time where like I would just watch Seven Samurai and Ron and Yojimbo and Rashomon like you know every few months just because I thought they were so masterful. Or Hitchcock. Mm. Um, Lynn Ramsey is probably the director who did uh, You Were Never Really Here. Mm-hmm. She's probably my favorite working director. Hmm. I think she just, she and Wong Kar Wai are able to express time in a way that I think is just a, so far above and beyond anybody else. Yeah. It's yeah, just I was like shocked. an internal sense of time that, um, yeah, actually that's, I'm glad you brought that movie up because it actually really reminds me of this in certain ways. Yeah. The ending of that film was so beautiful. About how oh in the diner yeah in their diner and they can like hear their hear everyone else's conversations oh oh my god this is so good I mean that's also a story about deferred um, violence right when he gets to the mansion mm-hmm. and he gets to the bedroom and yeah. that guy has been taken out <laughs> not to spoiler alert uh-huh. but uh, you'll have to put that in, in post <laughs> but uh, you know and he's just sitting on the edge of this bed. And loses his shit. Yeah. He just starts shaking his legs. He can't control himself because his vindication has been abolished by circumstances, mm-hmm. not by anything. There's there's no uh, gratification for him or for the audience, too. Did you see... Uh, oh, sorry, go on. No, no. Uh, the, the, Did, have you seen Killing of a Sacred Deer yet? Not yet. I really like that. Okay, I'll have to check yeah. that out. Uh, I was actually shocked how good Colin Farrell was in it. He's really good at times. Uh, the Lobster was sort of a quirky movie, but he was really great in that. So, What did you think of uh, Denis Villeneuve? Denis Villeneuve? What do you think about him? 
Uh, so he's done the the Blade Runner sequel, which mm-hmm. was really visually accomplished. I Did don't you know. like that movie? I thought it was visually accomplished, but for whatever reason, the story didn't hit with me. I don't. It was a little like convenient. Um, thematically, I thought it was pretty interesting, and I like false messiah stories generally. So I thought that was an interesting angle, um, and I really like Ryan Gosling, but. I don't, I mean, Blade Runner is up there for me. That's like a top 10 movie for mm-hmm. me if I'm going to, uh, you know, just try to have a short list of movies. So I, did, I those themes are so beautifully expressed. I don't really see a, a point in having a second Blade Runner Sicario. movie. Sicario. is great. Unreal. So good. Like you can see his raw talent in that movie. Like if they had any other schlub doing this movie, it wouldn't be as good. Did he do the second one? No. I haven't seen that yet, no. but that that looked promising, too. What was the alien one that he did um, with uh, Hawkeye and... Oh, uh, um, what the hell was the name Lois Lane. Yeah, Amy Adams. Arrival? Yeah. I didn't see that. Really? No. Oh, boy. And did he do Prisoners with Hugh Jackman? Yes. He also did Enemy, which I haven't seen, with Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, my goodness. That is a weird movie. Yeah. I really like that one. Hmm. I have to see if that's on Amazon. Yeah, based on a... I think that was based on The Double by Jose Saramago. <laughs> Saramago. Jose Saramago. Yeah. <laughs> trying to see, think of what other movies I've seen. Yeah, what have you seen as of late? What's uh, been your, let some me of your faves? Up, let me pull up my Letterboxd. Oh, there we go. that's where the magic happens. Actually, I think we had dueling Scorsese lists on uh, Letterboxd at one point. Yeah. Uh, so I saw Fallout, Mission Impossible Fallout. Oh, how was that? Fantastic. Peak Tom? Peak Tom. Oh, um, uh, run me down your, your three f- favorite uh, Tom, Cruise performances. I actually have a Tom Cruise list in here. Let oh, pull yeah? Pull that up. Uh, fave all-time Tom Cruise. Oh, I also have a fave 2018 list that we can go through, which I can't remember if we talked about Altered States. Oh, have you seen that movie? Is scary as that shit. movie Amanda, Amanda and I watched it, and I felt like shaken. We, we looked at each other, and I was like, "Should we be this frightened after watching this movie?" <laughs> it's a great movie. The, the music in that movie, everything is perfection. Yeah, I mean, even just the theme, like uh, uh, you know, those like suspension, sleep deprivation, right, and mind yeah. effing. Uh, fate, <laughs> Vanilla Sky, number one. Okay. Last Samurai number two. Ugh. Love Last Samurai. Minority yes. Report number three. Okay. Love that movie. Collateral number four. Oh, Collateral's really good. <laughs> that really oh, set off man. Jamie Foxx's like modern career and Michael Mann. I think what did he do after that? Um, Miami Vice. Public Enemy. I love Miami Vice. I never, actually, I only I haven't finished it. I wa- I was oh, like I bought re- that on HD DVD when it came out, but I never f- it's watched it. Colin Farrell with the worst Southern accent you've <laughs> ever heard, <laughs> ever. <laughs> Terrible, but it's so lush. Yeah. Oh, it's just because mm. it was in that Michael Mann era where he was using what kind of footage he did he use? Like it was like Viper. digital. Yeah, it well, looked he was super a big digital. Proponent of. So Collateral's great because, yeah, I think they were using the Sony Viper. So it was the f- one of the first real efforts to do all digital at the time, which I think for Collateral really worked. He had, like, a very particular look and feel. Yeah, it's like L.A. Let's make it look different. Yeah, like, like funky. all the crazy nightlights and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So that was really distinguished. My- Miami Vice did that, too. And then Public Enemies did that, but it wasn't as effective for me, I guess. Mm. Um, but he's always interesting. He's always, you know... he. He knows the medium so well, and he's always tinkering, so. Heat. 
Though, you know what? I know so many people who've revisited that movie as of late and tell me it just doesn't hold up. Oh, I actually watched it for the first time in many years a couple months ago, and I thought it was amazing. Al Pacino's performance in that movie is so insane. It's like maybe it's really weird. first modern insane Al Pacino because it looks like they included scenes where they just told him, yeah, do whatever, do whatever the F you want here. Go I crazy. Think so, yeah. And they're like, okay, yeah, let's, let's use There's that shot. There's a lot of weird like domestic stuff. I mean, it, they're, you know, they're like two broken men who can't really conform to like a family structure, right? Mm-hmm. But it's a lot of this. And he's talking about, oh, you want this TV? You got to watch the TV right now? <laughs> trying to do cop things and you're obsessed with the tv right now and i can't deal with it it was like deleted scenes like i could see this bit on the deleted deleted scene bonus extra like you didn't have to it was a lot of goofy just yeah yeah ad hominem random yeah al pacino being al pacino fallout's five mission impossible three is six three oh i love three jack reacher number seven never saw it terribly marketed where the hell is interview with a vampire buddy I actually haven't watched that in many years. Are you I gotta kidding re-watch. me? We'll see how that. Okay. That is my favorite batshit Tom Cruise performance. Really? Yeah. He hasn't even really do those anymore. No, I, it's just such a uh, Lestat's such a great, just dickhead character. Mm-hmm. Um, I should oh, rewatch. I'll rewatch that. Oh, Edge yeah. of Tomorrow six. Edge I mean, of Tomorrow eight. is really good. Uh, Rogue Nation nine. That's MI five five. It's one yeah. with the opera scene. I haven't seen that. <laughs> Oblivion, Jerry Maguire. Great movie. Hey, what about, um, oh my God, I'm blanking on the uh, Kubrick movie, Eyes Wide Shut. I actually have never finished it. Oh, really? Yeah. I like that movie a lot. Never finished it. He's another director I've skirted around a lot where he's been, he's been up there for me at various points in time. Uh, My phase for 2018 include The King's Speech. Never watched it. Oh, this is just movies you've seen. Yeah, this like year, for the not... first time this King's year. King's Speech was great. I love. And it. I love Colin Firth. He's just mm-hmm. such a uh, endearing actor. Paddington Two, unreal. Yeah, super good. I like Paddington Bear. Super. I haven't seen those good. films though. Very endearing. Annihilation. Uh, have you seen that yet? Oh, that's the uh, based on the Vandermeer book. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen that yet. It's good with Qu- Natalie Portman, right? Yeah, Quiet Place. Oh yeah, um, and altered states. Have you seen Hereditary? Not yet. We're wait. We missed we'll the boat. Scare the bejesus out of you. I was mortified. <sighs> Are you? So... I was having nightmares about Tony Collette like flying in the middle of the night. Like, <laughs> man, and I had a night that out, we were going to go because James had a sleepover, and we thought he would stay a second night. He usually requests it. Okay, but he didn't that time. He wanted to come home, so we blew it. It was mortifying. Oh, well, now, I feel like it's actually almost better to probably watch it at home because they're just moments. It's uh, one of the few viewings I've I've been at recently where people are like laughing out of nervousness. Oh my God, like things are so uh, intense that people uh-huh. just can only get it out through laughter, uh-huh. even though it's. Some of what you're seeing is just so horrific. What would, what would you compare it to? Because some of my uh, favorite ones are Conjuring and um, the Babadook. Like I love those. It uh, it's is it like uh, sort of Babadook ish? It deals a lot with family trauma, but it's really much more like The Exorcist or Rosemary's Baby. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, with some modern flourishes. Oh my God. That are really yeah, I'm waiting for it to shit. I'm waiting for it to hit digital because I we, I feel like it's not in theaters anymore. So I'm just like waiting. Probably not. Yeah. Unless but it's again, in, like, I think this theater. is like good for home because it's it's pretty intense. Uh, uh, boy. What have I seen this year? Sorry to bother you. I've seen previous for that it. was awesome. Hmm. So weird. It felt like. Um, have you seen Brazil? No. The old uh, Gillian Gillian movie. They make yeah. you watch that in film school, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only if you take a snobbery 202. <laughs> no, it's great. It's just like a very absurd, criti- like capitalist critique. It's uh-huh. very funny. Uh, you were never really there. It was a standout for me. Mm-hmm. What else have I seen as of late? I, didn't get, I haven't gotten to the movies as much as I'd like to this year. Gotta get that movie pass. I got the. I got it. I got it. <laughs> I try to do two, like two a month, mm-hmm. but the... The tricky thing with movie passes, you end up seeing like Geostorm because you're <laughs> yeah, like, I went to see. Uh, you're like, screw it, it's yeah, free. Yeah, it's like they're you know. they're like pretty much over soon. I think. Well, they're I don't reducing think they're gonna, it now. Nine, they're keeping nine ninety nine three a month. Hey, that's good ROI. We we bought at the yearly discounted rate. They did like when maybe like the first couple of months. They're like, oh yeah, pay sixty bucks for the year. Yeah, so we're saving an incredible amount of money. What we used to do was James and I would go to the movies and I would use my phone and log out and log in so we could yeah. use two different accounts. Now they blocked that a couple yeah. months ago. Um, and now they're cutting out movies. Like James wants to see the Meg, the Megalodon movie. Megalodon. That's not going to be in movie pass. Christopher Robin was not in it. Really? Yeah. Oh, I um, really want to see that. But if you, if you're near an e-ticketing place, there's no restrictions. Right. Which the, fir- the nearest one for us is like 15 miles away. Yeah, that blows. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, there's one in Chelsea. Yeah, actually, one weekend we we saw, what was it? Uh, uh, the new Wes Anderson, uh, Isle of Dogs, mm-hmm. which I thought was pretty good. I haven't seen that. And uh, Death of Stalin, which is hysterical. Really? So good. Hmm. There's a couple other services, like the AMC one. Um, they had the Stubbs Rewards yeah, program. I was, I was talking to my buddy who is a movie guy, and I I said to him, how it's funny that a couple like before movie pass, I never would have second guessed paying $20 to see like on three movies a week. Sure. I would have signed up for it immediately. Now with movie pass, I'm paying like $6 a month and maybe nine. Like now I second guess. I and know. He, and, yeah. he, and he, and he actually views it as movie pass as like a huge negative for the movie business that they've like brought the price, the presumed price down of a of the worth of a movie where now you're second guessing paying $20 a month even for like a monthly pass. Maybe. I mean, I think it was a pretty drastic shift. They had actually existed before and it was like $50 a Mm -hmm. month before they did this big surge where they were doing $10 a month, which I think was probably just a shoot for the moon strategy to try to retain their business. But uh, theaters have never made money on movies. They make money on concession. Popcorn, yeah. It's kind know. of crazy it's, that we. It's very disruptive. It's interesting. Um, it's a very strange business model. Like, yeah. even today, like paying thirteen dollars to see a movie once that you don't get a copy of or you can't keep. Like, it's it's pretty unusual. Yeah, it's it seems like archaic. Outda- it's outdated, but people are still in love with it. You know that that that's a magical thing um, that the the movies do that you can't reproduce at home. Thanks to Taylor for coming on to talk so eloquently about Sabrina. Please buy this book or get it at your local library at least. 
it's amazing. The movie talk lit a fire under Taylor's rear end to the point where he dusted off his old letterboxed account and gave me a ton of recommendations on what to watch next. And you can find a link to his letterboxed account in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.